Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everyone. I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you love the show, you can become a contributor at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. For just a buck a month, which is less than what we all pay for bad cups of coffee, you'll gain access to contributors-only bonus episodes. If you contribute a little bit more, I'll even send you your own Words for Granted mug. If Patreon's not your thing, but you'd still like to help keep this show on the road, you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to Paul for his recent contribution. And with that, let's get on to today's episode. A transition episode, if you will, into a series on American English. American English is the kind of English spoken in the United States of America. Obvious, right? Sure, but... Is American English a distinct language unto itself, or is it merely a dialect of British English, the original form of English? The answer is, well, it depends on the person you ask. Instead of oversimplifying the matter and taking one side or the other, I've decided to dedicate this entire episode to discussing the relationship between dialects and languages. The reason I want to address this language versus dialect issue before beginning the series in earnest is because, in many ways, it's an issue that's relevant to the entire discussion of how American English evolved and how it continues to evolve to this day. Furthermore, we haven't talked about dialects on this podcast before, and American English aside, it's probably about time that we did. So let's start with some dictionary definitions of language and dialect. In other words, the definitions used and accepted by everyday people who aren't linguists. According to the Google Dictionary, language is, quote, the method of human communication, either written or spoken, consisting of the use of words in a structured and conventional way, end quote. Fair enough. 95% of the time, linguists and lay people use the word language to mean the same thing. There's a slight caveat to how linguists sometimes use the word language, but I'm going to address that a bit later. Defining dialect is a slightly more complicated matter. According to the Google Dictionary, a dialect is, quote, a particular form of a language which is peculiar to a specific region or social group, end quote. Out of curiosity, I asked some friends of mine, non-linguists, by the way, to see what their definitions of dialect were. And all but one of them basically said the same thing, that it's a local and perhaps unsophisticated variety of language that differs from standard language in aspects such as vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation. My one friend who had a rogue definition equated dialect to accent, which is incorrect in both the technical and colloquial senses. Accent is strictly a matter of pronunciation. 
While dialects may be pronounced in non-standard accents, non-standard accents don't necessarily qualify as dialects. Anyway, these senses of the word dialect are perfectly valid in everyday usage. They're also perfectly valid in technical linguistic usage, but at the same time, linguistics understands dialect in a broader sense. You see, the colloquial definition of dialect measures a dialect against standard language. But where does this notion of standard language come from? There's a famous quote attributed to the linguist Max Weinreich that states, quote, A language is a dialect with a nation and an army, end quote. In other words, every form of language is a dialect, or at one point was a dialect, but due to the political and social factors of history, the status of certain dialects becomes elevated and standardized, thus creating proper or standardized languages. Yet, is it really that simple? Do linguists just get away with calling every language a dialect and every dialect a language? Yes and no. No and yes. As you can see, there's going to be a lot of ambivalence in this episode. In an article for The Atlantic entitled, What's a Language Anyway?, John McWhorter, linguist, professor, and host of the Lexicon Valley podcast, as I'm sure many of you know, astutely points out that while a rabbit and a hare may look the same to a non-specialist, there's a scientific distinction between the two animals. However, in the case of languages and dialects, regardless of how we define them, any attempt to distinguish them on a scientific basis falls apart. Linguists often turn to the languages Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish to prove this point. Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish are closely related languages that descend from a common mutual ancestor called Old Norse. These languages are so closely related, in fact, that speakers of Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish could go out for coffee and discuss anything from the menu to complex political issues without changing a thing about the way they speak their native tongues. In this same Atlantic article, McWhorter describes witnessing such a scene in Denmark in real life. This is not to say that Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish are exactly the same, but all three are close enough to be mutually understood by speakers of any of the three languages. This characteristic of mutual intelligibility, the ability to understand the way someone speaks even though it's a little different than the way you speak, is usually attributed to dialects of the same language. However, technically, Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish are not dialects of each other. Due to the existence of Norway, Sweden, and Denmark as distinct nations, Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish, respectively, all get the dignified status of distinct languages. However, the existence of Norway, Sweden, and Denmark as distinct nations is a mere product of history, and if we're going for a scientific distinction between languages and dialects, then the impact of historical circumstances is inconsequential to our classification, right? According to a scientific view, Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish seem much more like dialects than languages unto themselves. But realistically speaking, how can you actually take history out of the equation. Imagine an American linguist, or a make-believe linguist like me, showing up at a Swede's doorstep and saying, uh, hey, I hate to tell you, but according to linguistics, Swedish isn't a real language anymore. 
What you really speak is a dialect of Norwegian, since Swedish descends from Old Norse, and trust me, I know this stuff because I'm a linguist. I don't think that Swede would be particularly thrilled by this scientific point of view. Now, let's contrast this hypothetical linguistic interaction among Danish, Swedish, and Norwegian speakers with a hypothetical linguistic interaction between a black English speaker from the rural American South and a Cockney British speaker from London. The reality is that the speakers of Black English and Cockney British would probably have a harder time understanding one another than our Scandinavian trio, even though the Black English and Cockney British speakers would be conversing in dialects of the same language. However, that's not to say that they wouldn't be able to understand each other at all. In spite of being spoken with vastly different accents, both dialects draw from a shared vocabulary, grammar, and syntax. Sure, there are words and phrases in Black English that are totally alien to Cockney British, and the inverse is true as well, but the number of words that these dialects have in common far outnumbers those that they don't. Even with the tendency of Black English to conjugate verbs in unorthodox ways, or at least unorthodox according to standard English, the fundamental aspects of the two dialects' grammars are the same. With regards to the linguistic legitimacy of Black English grammar, by the way, I hope to cover that topic in detail in a later episode in this series. So, if we do for a moment permit ourselves to take history out of the equation, perhaps we can define dialects as points along a spectrum of linguistic intelligibility. In plain English, that means if you can understand the majority of what someone is saying without having to study their language, then the language that that speaker is using is probably a dialect of your own language. Note that this definition of dialect is unbiased. In contrast with the colloquial definition of dialect in the dictionary, which measures dialects against standard languages and uses the qualifiers local and peculiar, there's no status prejudice here. This definition doesn't view standard English as more correct or better than black English, for instance. Instead, it views them as different varieties of English. As loose as this definition may be, we shouldn't fully sign off on it yet. This is a bit of a digression, but let's take a quick look at Chinese. There isn't a definitive Chinese language, though there are eight main Chinese dialects, some of which you might know by name, such as Mandarin, Cantonese, and Taiwanese. Unlike Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish, which are mutually intelligible but considered distinct languages, the Chinese dialects are not all mutually intelligible, yet are all considered varieties of a single Chinese language. The various Chinese dialects all derive from a common Chinese ancestor, sure, but over thousands of years they've grown significantly apart in their pronunciation and accent. A speaker of Mandarin Chinese cannot understand a speaker of Cantonese Chinese, but there's a twist. The Mandarin speaker and the Cantonese speaker would be able to understand the meaning of a newspaper published in either dialect because, in spite of how the dialects are pronounced, they're written using the same characters. Unlike alphabetic languages, such as English, Chinese uses characters to represent words, and all the Chinese dialects use the same characters to mean the same things. However, the words for those characters vary from dialect to dialect. 
Even though the varieties of Chinese all share the same characters to represent the same meanings, given their unintelligibility in the realm of speech, this would seem to disqualify them as dialects of the same language. Are they considered the quote-unquote same language because they derive from a common ancestor? Of course not. If that were the qualification, then Italian, French, and Spanish would all be considered dialects of the same language because they all ultimately derive from Latin. On that note, people tend to over-exaggerate the similarities among the Romance languages. There is no argument to be made that Italian, French, and Spanish are just dialects of each other. They are definitely distinct languages. The only reason the Chinese dialects are considered dialects of the same language is because they are all spoken by people in China. It is a matter of national and cultural identity more than accurate linguistic classification. Um, side note here, in the most technical sense, linguists actually use that term variety as a neutral catch-all term to describe what lay people would call a language. If you'd like an even more technical term for this, you can use Lect. The words variety and lect help solve the all dialects are languages and all languages are dialects ambiguity to some degree. In this technical context, the term language is reserved solely for the standardized dialect of languages. Earlier, when I made a caveat for how linguists sometimes use the word language, this is what I was talking about. However, ordinary people don't use this terminology, so I don't think it's useful to impose it upon you as my audience. Furthermore, the words lect and variety don't help to scientifically distinguish languages from dialects, which is what we're trying and failing to do here. If you want my academically unqualified opinion, there is no real scientific distinction between dialects and languages. One is not a rabbit, while the other is a hare. The only real difference is a superficial, socio-cultural one. Let's bring the conversation back to English. The notion that Standard English is just a dialect, albeit a widely spread and socially esteemed one, may be hard for some of you to grasp. If this is the case, take a moment to consider how a language becomes standardized in the first place. I'm not just talking about English, but any language. The grammar gods didn't just start dropping sanctified grammar books out of the sky one day. People wrote those books, and those people had agendas advocating for the legitimacy of one version of a particular language as the right version of that language. The earliest example of this can be seen in the standardization of French. In the 17th century, King Louis XIII of France endorsed the Académie Française, in the midst of a French nation filled with many French dialects, the Paris-based academy sought to codify a national French language, a language that could be legislated and taught to the entire country. You'll never guess which dialect they chose for this. They chose the dialect of French spoken in Paris. That's where the academy was. And they particularly chose the dialect spoken by the Paris elite. Thus, modern standard French was born and propagated nationwide. Shortly after this, many other European countries began following in suit. As a result, rural unrecorded dialects began disappearing. As I've already said, this isn't because a country's standardized language is inherently superior to the other varieties of that language. It's only viewed as superior because at some point in time, a group of socially influential fancy people decided that it was so. 
Now, I'm not telling you to go out into the world and start in talking however yourself wanteth to talks, because for the sake of mutual intelligibility among millions, or in the case of English, billions across the globe, the standardization of language is an important and even necessary invention. But in the context of our discussion, it's important to keep in mind the arbitrary and historical nature of that standardization. So, after this discussion, where can we stand on the issue of American English? Language or dialect? If we go with Max Weinreich's aphorism that a language is a dialect with an army and a navy, then American should be considered a language separate from the language of Britain. That is, British English, or English English. America is 100% politically independent from Britain, and it has been since 1776. In theory, the country's language is also independent. But the reality is, both countries still speak English. Perhaps we can call British English and American English national dialects. In her book, The Prodigal Tongue, The Love-Hate Relationship Between American and British English, linguist Lynn Murphy coins the word nationlect from national dialect in order to describe the varieties of English spoken in America and Britain. I think it's a great term because it allows everyone to win. It recognizes the national status of the English language in both countries, while simultaneously reminding us that national languages are indeed just dialects with a little more pomp and circumstance surrounding them. But, however nifty this term may be, it still doesn't scientifically distinguish languages and dialects because the reality is, I don't think you can. By the way, if you're interested in the relationship between American English and British English, and you don't know who Lynn Murphy is, you're definitely missing out. She runs the Separated by a Common Language blog, and she recently published the book I just mentioned, The Prodigal Tongue. If all goes to plan, she'll be coming onto this humble little podcast for an interview in the coming weeks, so keep your eyes peeled for that. All right, that's it for this one. If you love the show, again, you can make a contribution at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. If that's not in your budget, you can still show your support by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice, or by telling a friend. All great options. My Twitter handle is at wordsforgranted. I'm on Facebook as wordsforgranted. And you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.